0: This is the We the People, Our American Story podcast. My name is Tina McCafferty. Join me every week to hear the remarkable stories of veterans, combat survivors, first responders, and American patriots in their own words. If you are pro-freedom and pro-America, you are in the right place. We the People, Our American Story is the podcast for Americans who fiercely and unapologetically love America. Welcome patriots to a new episode of We the People, Our American Story. Season five is lit and today I have JP and Crystal Lane. They are going to add fuel to the fire. Hello, you two. Welcome. hello Hello. i am thrilled to have you both here crystal i am so grateful that you were able to join i always love it when we can have a spouse join because they have a different part of the story that's really important to tell that i often don't get to hear thank you both for being here i want to start at the beginning jp can you tell us a little bit about growing up what life was like for you
1: Yes, so I grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, home of the Packers and the Cheeseheads, and that's pretty much my uh, childhood was just watching the Packers play, um, playing sports, going to school, doing my homework. Everything was just a normal childhood, if you would, um, besides parents uh, splitting and having to deal with that mess. But my whole mindset changed in eighth grade. And that's actually when I saw the Twin Towers fall on the news in my language arts class. And it changed everything I thought about our nation and our world. And um, I wanted to fight and protect. And that was just a, a thought that popped into my head in eighth grade.
0: At that young age, you had the mindset where you wanted to protect American citizens that is such a young age to even be thinking about that had you always been serious-minded
1: when it comes to protecting those that I love in this nation and uh, sticking up for what's right I guess yeah there's short moments where I will be quite serious because those are important to me
0: I believe you have some military service in your family, don't you?
1: I do, actually. I grew up um, right before I was born. My dad had got out of the Air Force, uh, served 16 years in the Air Force. My uncle was in the Navy. And now my little brother is actually a Marine.
0: Are there any butting heads with that, him a Marine?
1: Uh, Well, I did ask him, why did you join the Marines? Because... He was like, hey, I'm going to join the military because of you. That's the most awesome thing I've ever heard my siblings say to me. And then he goes and joins the Marine. I was like, I told you Army, dude.
0: <laughs> Does he <laughs> like to eat crayons?
1: I think so. He is a character. When
0: yeah. did you join the military?
1: I joined the Army in 2008.
0: Was that right after you graduated?
1: Shortly after, yes, I joined in 2008 when I was actually reminded of the idea and the promise I made to myself when I was in eighth grade.
0: What was it like for you being in the Army at that time? Did you enjoy that? Did you feel like you were fulfilling your duties at that time?
1: Absolutely. Uh, when I first joined, I actually went to the recruiter's office and asked them what's the most dangerous job you can give me right now. And they told me, 12 Bravo Combat Engineer, I'd be searching for bombs, making bombs, blowing stuff up. It would be a blast. I figured that would put me at the front of the line. And I was always that daredevil child, rebel child, uh, whatever you want to call it. But I wanted to be first and in the front lines, uh, serving at the best capacity that I knew I could.
0: You had no fear.
1: Uh, you could partially say that. Some people may think that's impossible, but for myself, I had my faith and that tells me not to have fear 365 times in the word. So that would technically mean all year round.
0: Wow, that's yeah. impressive. What was your journey in the military? How many deployments did you have?
1: I only got one deployment in. Uh, my job was extremely dangerous. I would do route clearance. It's ended up causing me to end my career very abruptly and change things for my career path in the military and the rest of my life.
0: Where were you deployed to? In
1: 2010 and 2011 I deployed to Afghanistan with my unit and while I was there our job was route clearance so we'd be searching for bombs in the roads and clearing those and no one was allowed to go before us until we actually cleared those routes and made sure everything was safe for the rest of the soldiers and the civilians that lived over
0: there. Is and, that different from a minesweeper or is that a mine sweeper? Uh
1: pretty much a mine sweeper. I mean, it just some would be on foot and some would be in the vehicles in our convoys. And that's what we did because we were searching for the big IEDs that they would place in the roads because they had to place 100 plus pound IEDs in the roads to try and damage vehicles and take out personnel.
0: I wanna get the storyline in the right order. Crystal, when do you come into the picture? Is this after or are you already in the picture?
2: No, this is after. So we met a few years after he was done uh, with therapy.
0: Okay, we'll get to your part of the story then. I just want to, I didn't miss anything important.
2: No, no, you're good.
0: How long were you there before your traumatic injury?
1: I was there for 10 months, uh, 30 days from coming home.
0: Did you have any close calls before then?
1: Um... I wouldn't say close calls, but I was blown up and shot at and taken, tested, if you will, in my job. But nothing really came close, I guess you could say.
0: Were there times that you were nervous?
1: I wasn't actually ever nervous, but I was devastated. Uh, March 26, 2011, my best friend was shot and killed by a sniper. I remember being the only moment during my deployment that I was every single negative emotion that you could possibly imagine combined. And it was difficult. And I had revenge in my heart and mind for every mission after that. And that's the only time I remember any sort of feelings of difference of just being confident in what we were trained in. It's the running joke where the Army didn't, issue us feelings, so we really don't have them.
0: (laughs) They really focus on just being able to cope with what's going on at the time, that muscle memory. What is the day of your injury?
1: July 2nd, 2011.
0: Do you mind telling a little bit about what happened that day?
1: Um, Yeah, not at all. So July 2nd, it was actually my day off. I volunteered for this mission. It was a more complex mission that they asked us to do. And we go out searching for the IEDs. And towards the end of the list of routes that they gave us, we were on our last route. And my truck was blown up, uh, shooting my truck up into the air, slamming it down on the passenger side, and completely ripping off the engine of my RG 31 And it was the first RG31 to ever be penetrated by an IED in history. And the IED went straight through my truck. And when it exploded, I became a WMPT. It snapped my left femur in half. My pelvis snapped in half. My spine dislocated from my pelvis. My right arm snapped in half. I lost my right middle finger as well. My forefront teeth were knocked out when my face hit the steering wheel, and uh, my skull smashed against the windshield, actually shattering the windshield, which is four inches thick of bulletproof glass. And at that moment, my brain had flattened to the size of a pancake, pressed up against my skull, and caused a traumatic brain injury within minutes. And to top it all off, everything inside my torso was destroyed except for my heart and my left lung.
0: Were you in the truck by yourself?
1: No, I was actually the driver that day during that part of the mission. And the IED went straight through underneath where I was sitting. So I ended up being the only one who received the maximum damage to my body, uh, which I'm very grateful for. My truck commander, um, he actually broke his right leg when our truck went up and slammed down on his side. And then the gunner um, was completely fine. I'll never forget, actually, my right arm, the snap in half. I was laying on my truck commander, my entire torso and all of my gear, and he couldn't breathe. So I had to use my right arm and push myself off of him with my broken arm and pull myself up with my left arm and hold myself up so that I wouldn't suffocate him. And in that moment, I also had the understanding that I should probably check myself to make sure I'm okay. And I saw my uniform, my pants were bloody all the way down, but I didn't know that I was an amputee in that moment.
0: You didn't lose your legs at that point. Were they so mangled that they were amputated later?
1: My right one was amputated immediately. Yeah, I consider that a blessing in disguise because my right foot and boot were found melted to the floorboard of my truck. So if I wasn't amputated immediately, I would have been melted to the floorboard of my truck and probably would not be here today. So, And all I saw was blood after that. And then shortly after I looked at my uniform, I passed out because of blood loss.
0: What's the next thing that you remember?
1: Um... Well, the next thing I remember is waking up from my coma.
0: Have you talked to Shiloh about being in a coma?
1: I don't know if we've had that conversation. Maybe.
0: Curious what Um. your experience was. Just to let the listeners know, JP knows Shiloh Harris, who is a guest on my podcast, and he's a friend of mine. And on his episode, Shiloh remembers being in his coma. And what he remembers, he said, is it was a very dark, scary place, so much so that when he came out of the coma, he did not want to go back to sleep. Do you remember anything from that time?
1: So I was very fortunate. I was completely blacked out. For me, it honestly felt like I had passed out in my truck and then I woke up the next day. Little did I know, I was actually in a coma for a month and a half. Wow. Very fortunate I didn't have any of some of the experiences that others may have had.
0: Were you confused when you woke up? Where were you? And did you have a bearing at all on what was going on?
1: I'm typically the person that likes to assess uh, the situation at hand, and no matter what it is, and just come mm-hmm. to a conclusion as fast as possible. So... When I woke up from my coma, I knew I was in the hospital. I saw all of the tubes connected and everything. I was barely able to talk. I wasn't really able to talk. But my thoughts were my own. that were running through my head, which were probably 100,000 thoughts. And so I knew that something happened. I knew I was blown up. I remembered that part. And I didn't know what damage happened to me. When I was finally able to really start just barely moving my arms and talk again, I went and I pulled the sheets off of my legs to see if I still had them and they were gone. And the first thing that came out of my mouth was after staring at my legs, I looked up at my dad and I was like, well, this is different. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Yeah. The thought that ran through my mind was the fact that I couldn't change this. I can't go back in time. I don't have a time machine. I don't have magical powers where I can grow my legs back. I had to accept it and find a way to move on. And so the only thing that came out of my mouth was, well, this is different.
0: How high up are your amputations?
1: So on my left leg, I have my full femur and then it's amputated immediately. So I don't have a knee on my left side. On my right leg, It's amputated in the middle of my calf, so I actually do have my right knee, and that is awesome.
0: Do you have full use of your arms then? Are they okay?
1: I do, yeah. So my dad, actually, I have to thank, because he begged the doctors to not amputate my right arm.
0: They were going to amputate it?
1: It was going to be amputated. So thankfully, my dad was there, and he knew that conversation was happening, and he said, do whatever you have to Save his arm.
0: And Crystal, you mentioned that he has TBI. What does that look like for him?
2: Right now, it just Because of the impact, it's more of a short-term memory, so things just don't click. On the music side, God protected his brain, the artistic. He can remember a song within an hour. I mean, it's just amazing. And remember it. You know, he's studying something that he read a book or a, a manual of something, and I asked him about it. No, (laughs) he won't remember that. So it just depends being married to him. Sometimes I'm like, it's selective hearing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is TBI and that part of the brain something that can repair itself or will this be the way it is?
1: So that is a great question from a scientific background and studies I've heard of that have been going on since the war has started. It's actually a degenerating process. But I feel that some have come or held it steady. I feel personally, it's probably through prayer, because that's what we do. And there's many things that have been what some would call miracles that are things I should not have been able to do or come through. And I've been able to do all of those. And doctors have been blown away, no pun intended.
0: You know what I love about speaking to all of you, JP, is that you are all so matter-of-factly just say I got blown up. Yeah, sure did.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Is there
0: therapy for TBI?
2: I was gonna say I think there's certain like exercises that will help. I know a lot like with crosswords. I mean, just helping the memory, doing things that will kind of just get keep the brain running right. So he, I mean, he does. That. I think the artistic side of that, learning the song, like, again, that's just good practice for him. He's been doing phenomenal with everything. It's not all the time with short-term memory. It's just, you know, I guess sometimes too, like it's selective, like his brain will tell him like, oh, you don't need to remember this kind of thing. You know, just like, he'll forget
1: who, about it. Who needs to remember to do the dishes
0: <laughs> Well, JP, what was recovery like for you? Learning how to use prosthetics, were you ever mad at God? Was PTSD a problem at this point?
1: The beginning of my therapy was all of that. It was extremely difficult on top of being extremely painful, on top of arguing and, well, I wouldn't say argue, but yelling and at God and saying, why did this happen to me? Why did you let this happen? And so on. And all the questions we all Uh, shout out in frustration when something tragic does happen. All of that was part of the beginning of my therapy. And every day I would look in the mirror, I would see a half a man, I would see a monster and someone that didn't have a reason to sit around. And there was no purpose for me to even be here anymore because everything I used to do was with my legs. And so I almost took my life 12 separate times. I would continuously be haunted by the thoughts in my head that were just reminding me that no one's going to love me for the way I look, that I'm not going to be able to do all of the things that I used to do, and I won't be in the Army for a career long term that I wanted to do. And everything in my life had changed. And it wasn't until I realized that I kept on trying to do all of that on my own strength. And I was failing every time I have to rely on something bigger and stronger than myself. In that moment, things started to change when I gave it all to God and said, look, you take it. Cause I'm going to check out. Otherwise, I don't want to be here living like this, unless you give me a purpose. And Everything started changing and to the point where I'll never forget having a conversation with one of my doctors who I was on approximately 20 medications, three or four that they said I would be on for life, including dialysis. And I go to my doctor and I was like, hey, um, just so you know, I'm done with all of my pills, all of my medications. And he's like, I would not advise that. And I'm like, no, I don't think you understand. I actually heard from the man upstairs and he told me I'm okay to do this. He'll take care of me. And I was very grateful that he also was a a believer and understood what I was talking about. He was like, okay, well, I'm not going to argue with that guy. So if he said you're good to go, then you can quit cold turkey, which is not recommended in the medical world. Sure enough, I did. And it's been 10 plus years.
0: On top of everything, you were doing dialysis as well? I was. How often?
1: Um, I actually don't remember how often. That that was, there was some of the stuff that I have actually blocked out of memory. For example, I had a colostomy bag. Uh, thankfully, they were able to reverse that, and I don't have one today. Um, there's a lot of stuff that, yeah, I was pretty messed up and. They were like, yeah, this kid's gonna be living like this for the rest of his life. And here I am today living like this for the rest of my life.
0: How are your internal organs today?
1: Pretty good actually, Um, I eat healthy. The one thing I know that my internal organs don't appreciate, my intestines are beans. So. I don't think
0: a lot of people's intestines appreciate beans. I know. I used to love them. Now I can't have them. I had my gallbladder taken out and there are some things that I just can't do anymore. Not that it's on the same level as you, yeah. I'm sure, but I get you. I hear you. Crystal, when do you come into the picture?
2: Um. So after. It was what year was this?
0: 2017.
2: Yep, correct. Good job. I see the memory works.
1: <laughs> Numbers important. Oh, that's
2: right. Numbers too are great for you. Yeah. Um. Yeah. 2017. I was uh, visiting a cousin in San Antonio, and we just happened to go to the Gold's Gym on Evans. Um. That gym, might like, just that was the gym right by her neighborhood, and that just happened to be the uh, the gym that JP would go and work out and. Yeah, he just came up to me, it was uh, in July, the end of July of 2017, and the rest is history. I mean, he complimented my workout, I didn't even see um, his prosthetics, you know, until he turned around and walked away, Um, I was like, whoa, that's amazing, and then she was like, (laughs) (laughs) so we just got to know each other, and then we found each other on Facebook, and He asked me really an important question. I guess he was kind of scrolling through my post and was like, are you a Christian? I was like, I am. I said, are you? And he said, yes, I am. I wouldn't be here without God. And I was like, wow. So we just knew like it was God's divine appointment. I was only there for, at that time, it was a week long and we only went to the gym for two days. it was just happened to be at the time that he was there. It's been amazing ever since. I moved literally like after that I was like I'm gonna get a job transfer like if it's meant to be because I live five hours south and sure enough I called uh, a financial institute in in San Antonio and they were like yeah we can we can bring you in in two weeks. (gasps) Two weeks like it was just super fast life-changing and God definitely had a plan for us all and we've been on the road ever since i mean it's been non-stop
1: we were nervous because six months into oh, our yeah. being together we we're like we're gonna get married
2: yeah
1: it's all gonna depend on how our parents take it and sure i was expecting my dad to dig your nuts yeah <laughs> what are you doing
2: yeah and, and my dad is, yeah. yeah he's uh spanning mexican dad like he's strict you don't move in with someone you get me you know he, you have to get the blessing of course from the Father and it was just my dad's like, Okay, yeah, that's great. And he just
0: knew <laughs> When were you two married? Uh we got February married
1: February twenty eighth. Well we consider our twenty second anniversary. Right. But uh February twenty second, 20- 18, 18. 18.
2: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, 2018. Yeah. And then so now it's been four and a half years. You're
0: coming on your five year. I can't remember what that anniversary is. Is it like straw, <laughs> something like that? I don't know what it is. I just had my 25th. Yeah. Well, oh, congrats. That's amazing. Thank wow. you. Tell me about your proper exit from Afghanistan. Why was that important for you to do? What was that experience like?
1: That is a memory I will never forget. There are memories that fade away. There are memories that don't even stick. That trip was one of the most amazing, impactful trips that I've actually been able to go on. And the reason I say that is because from 2011, waking up from my coma till the moment that I found out that this program even existed in the first place, I have always had a dream and a goal, like, I want to go back to Afghanistan and tell the soldiers my story, but most importantly, leave the way I wanted to leave. And then for whatever reason, this buddy who lives in our neighborhood was over at the house and he was like, hey, dude, I'm going to Afghanistan next month. I'm like, what? Why are you going He's a double amputee as well? How and why and what? Just give me all the details of this trip. So he told me that he was going in December of 2017 and how he was going was through Operation Proper Exit, a Faraday's Troops First organization, and they had been doing these trips and I had no clue. And so I found out what was going on. My buddy gave me the contact information and I called them immediately, said, hey, when's the next trip? And I believe it was April, no, March. So shortly after we got married,
2: yes,
1: and uh, I got accepted to be one of the warriors that goes on this trip. So we get there, and each one of us are telling our stories to all the soldiers in theater. We would travel from base to base, and while I was there, an idea popped into my head, and I asked Command, "Hey, can we find an RG31 so I can sit back in the driver's seat and?" they were like, those things really don't exist anymore in theater because since my blast, uh, I was very grateful because also during that trip, I found out from the contractors that make the truck that my blast actually helped them redesign the trucks and they built new vehicles to get out there for rock new missions. A vehicle hasn't been penetrated since. Like that brought me to tears in itself. So that finding that out while I was there the second time and then they actually did find their last RD 31 in Afghanistan. And I sat back in that seat, knowing that seven years prior, I was almost killed in that same spot. And I cried like a baby, but with joyful tears because I knew how far
0: why was it important for you to share your story with those soldiers and you said you wanted to come home the way that you wanted to come home I imagine that means on your own two feet <laughs> so government issued. <of> <laughs> <laughs> that's right very expensive feet but why-, <laughs> why was it important for you to share your story with those soldiers
1: the world likes to dwell on the negative things going on And I am not about that life. I want to show positivity and I was able and continue. I'm able to do that um, because I have gone from tragedy to triumph and I have figured out how to do that. If I can spend the rest of my life telling my story to inspire soldiers and inspire troops and those who have gone through tragedy or may eventually go through tragedy, that there is a way through it and we can come out the other side of that tunnel and actually live life to the fullest, then I will continue to tell my story until my last breath. Afghanistan back in 2018 and getting to go over there was amazing for myself and all of the things that I wanted to do while I was there, but even more so just to inspire them, to remind them that there's a way that they can get through anything that they face in life.
0: So have you two also met then Matthew Bradford? I'm pretty sure he's with Faraday's troops or Tom Capel, Thomas Capel.
1: Oh, oh yes.
0: You've met him then. Oh, yes. yes. And
1: actually, now that you said it, I think I know Matt too.
0: Yeah, he's the double amputee, blind, no legs, no vision, yes. no problem. Yeah, he's been on my podcast as well. I love that your community is so small and that I get to peek my head in and be a little part of it because you are <laughs> such an inspiration, all of you. And to be able, sorry, to share your stories, it just gives me such a high. And talking to Tom Capel, I, I couldn't ever imagine him as a drill sergeant. He is such- Oh, yeah. A kind man thought of him bellowing is just I can't even comprehend it.
1: Yes, I actually cannot see him being a drill sergeant. He is a very sweet man.
0: How tall were you before the accident, before your injury? I shouldn't say accident, I was five. You were five what? Six. Okay, and did that take any height off of you?
1: Oh no, I'm five foot seven today.
0: Oh, really?
1: Oh, yeah. So you've got that. Oh, yeah. I'm not giving that inch back. (laughs) One of the reasons I will continue to enjoy my situation, because I can change my height whenever I want, and and I am going to be 5'7 forever. Maybe 5'8 on my birthday. Who knows?
0: How many pairs of prosthetics do you have?
1: I have my regular walking legs. I have my water legs. And I actually... Just got my running blades two months ago.
0: And they'll last how many years?
1: Oh, forever. So the most important leg that I have is the computerized one. It's called an X3. I just had the X2 for nine and a half
0: years. That's amazing. One of the things that I have not asked for a while, I used to ask all the time, is the phantom pain, because that is so interesting to me. Do you experience that?
1: Yeah, it is crazy how that works the phantom pain um i only had it for like two weeks and the feeling of still having your feet and your limbs and all that stuff that only lasted two weeks for me and then it was completely gone i know people who still have it today
0: yeah In fact, I'm trying to think who it was that I spoke to. I can't remember, but he was an, at least a single amputee. I can't remember who it was, but he's like sitting right here. I can feel my toes two weeks. That's amazing.
1: Right. Yeah. The thing I I still have to this day is, um, nerve pain. Mm. My nerves flare up and shoot electricity down my legs, even more so when storms come in and the Mm. biometric pressure drops. Not fun.
0: Can you do I mean, anything to help that?
1: Technically I was on Lyrica. That was one of the almost 20 medications that I was on, but.
2: What's the new device now that you got?
1: I don't remember the name of it.
2: It like uh, helps puts pressure on his, on his nubs, And it just kind of like, it's tight. And then it'll like, like over 30
1: seconds, it'll slowly release and then tighten back up. Hold for 30 seconds and release.
2: Yeah, we just got it. So I was a veteran who was out here and he worked for them. He was actually a Navy SEAL. Yeah, he shared a story with us. We were like, that's awesome. And so he said, hey, this really helped people who have nerve pain. We're like, yeah, we'll try it. It's been doing pretty good. Like anytime he starts feeling the flares, um, I'm like, okay, let's get that device and put it on your legs. And then so it kind of helps, um, I guess, distract the nerve. So it does.
1: And it's kind of, there's not a lot of things like, that will distract my nerve pain from flaring up. And so there'll be days before I got this device, there'll be days that I'll be punching my legs to try and like shock them and be like, try to get the nerves off of the path of shooting down right. my legs, I don't know.
0: Is really, that something that will heal? Or it just, they're so damaged, it's a lifetime.
1: I think it's because of where they're severed. I think it will continuously, cause there's no end the circuit isn't complete. So they're, the reason why they flare up is because there's no finish line, if you will.
0: Yeah. Here's a question I have never asked. I don't know why I've never asked this. I'll ask you, JP. You'll be my first person to ask this. When you dream, do you have your legs?
1: That? Okay. So I'm actually... Uh, I
0: don't know why I've never thought of that. I'm like, wow. What no, that's a,
1: That's a genius question. The only issue is
0: I don't dream. What do you mean you don't dream? I thought only people that were insane didn't dream. You really don't dream? Or do you just not remember? I don't, don't remember? Do
2: say it's that. Because they say like 80% of the time you don't remember your dream. So I, I don't know. I he think the fact doesn't. that
1: I don't dream is more accurate because you should see how many times I daydream. So I think my dreaming is already um, done for the day before I even go to sleep. That's, that's true.
0: Think. You do daydream a lot. I
1: daydream a lot.
0: When you wake up in the morning, then the last thing you remember was night. You don't recall anything.
2: Yep. Crazy.
0: You are crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice.
1: Hey, I don't need all y'all ganging up on me. My parents have said this my whole life.
0: What happened with this accident that you two were in? Um,
2: I picked, I'm going to pick up from the airport and it was like, um, it was like a week before this accident happened. It was just, we were just in awe. We were in cloud nine, right? We were just super excited for him to make it home back from Afghanistan. And we're on our way to the gym. And when we get there, I was like, okay, I need a few things. We have to go back home. And it rained just slick enough for the rose, right? And uh we're driving and sure enough it was um an F150 coming around the bend and JP did his best to try to avoid the you know real head on uh collision and he still got the front uh corner of our jeep and we flipped and rolled uh three times and it was like crazy because it was like he was on mission like he went on military mode he said um after now knowing and we can talk about it but he said he felt like he was back in the truck and so the moment we got hit and rolled over it was just like in slow motion to him and he said immediately get out of the truck get out of the truck because he could smell the smoke and he and I was like my door is jamming. And he was like no I'm going to get you out and he punched his door and that actually uh, damaged and had internal bleeding because he has the metal rods in his arm but he punched his door trying to get and my door was bent yeah. in and open only about this much I mean he just helped push it open a little more for me to squeeze through and it was just happened so fast and it was crazy because there was a warrior spouse who's a double amputee the one b- yeah. behind us and she was frightened right. it. And she just comes running because she sees a double amputee and her husband's a double amputee. So it was just crazy. We were all there real quick trying to get everything done. Thank God we walked okay. Even the doctors were like, I don't know how you guys are walking out of this accident. It was so bad.
0: There were no injuries. Zero. Zero. But for you, JP, it really affected you and your PTSD, didn't it?
1: It affected me for, uh, if I can recall, Mm -hmm. like three days, uh, three nights where I had night sweats. I would wake up in the middle of the night and it was just like flashbacks, just kind of in that same moment where um, I had to figure out what was going on because I could still smell the same.
0: Brought you back to Afghanistan.
1: So the one thing that I remember was the smoke. And when you're impacted in a vehicle crash of whatever sorts, it's almost the same smells because all vehicles run off the same stuff and the dust and dirt and everything flaring up. And so it was the exact same smell as I remember being blown up in Afghanistan. And it messed with my mind for a few days. And I actually, I was telling Crystal that I feel that it was literally just trying to distract me from continuing on and living life and the reason why it happened in that moment was because i had just come back from my second trip to afghanistan and was able to accomplish all of the goals that i had set for doing that trip and i was at the highest happiest person on the planet and of course when we get to that level there's forces out there that are trying to bring us down and take us out of that mindset, that joy. And that's exactly what happened for those few days. And then I noticed that, I realized it, and I just snapped right out of it. And I was like, no, I'm in charge of my life and I'm in charge of my thoughts and I know who's really got my back. So I'm moving forward and I'm gonna live life with a smile on my face, not let this bring me down.
0: One of the things that has been, therapy for you is your music would you mind playing a little piece for us
1: absolutely i heard this song was on the radio when i was driving around one day and i was kind of contemplating like hey uh i need a purpose i need something to do in this life and all of a sudden this song pops on the radio called only a mountain by jason castro and it actually talks about The mountains that we face, the things that we go through, we can get past them. And that really spoke to me the way that this song was put together and helped me realize that I'm going to be able to get past this injuries, the pain, all of it. another fight, it always feels like an uphill climb, never said another mind, the story of your life, it's harder than you ever thought, and it costs you everything you got, when you're back against the wall, and you feel like giving up, this is only
0: Beautiful. That's beautiful. What does music do for you?
1: It is my absolute favorite passion of all of my life. When I'm on stage and I'm actually performing, one of the things that Crystal has gotten to see is the fact that I don't feel I'm in my prosthetics in that moment. I'm up there, I'm singing like upbeat, fun songs and stuff, and I'm across the stage, dancing and enjoying the time up there and I just feel in my element and honestly do not even feel like a double amputee.
0: I want to read this to you here JP never give up never surrender we have a purpose to bring hope love inspiration and the idea of being mentally strong to people across the world. What does this mean to you?
1: That's my life. That's the only thing that I want to do, which is why I believe I'm still here today.
0: And then what is your mission?
1: My mission is to remind others that if myself and so many of my battle buddies who have gone through such horrendous tragedies are able to get through them and overcome and live life truly to the fullest, then what's stopping them?
0: And where can we find you on social media?
1: Social media, you can find me at JP Lane Official uh, across the board, whether it's TikTok, Instagram, uh, Facebook, YouTube, all of the above. And yeah, we're very friendly. We respond to as many comments as possible and messages. And we love everybody that wants to share this journey with us.
0: And where can we find your book, Walking Again?
1: Walking Again is actually on Amazon and um I still need to put on audible though I do need to do that but I am happy to say that it is on Amazon and also my website com. we actually do uh, autograph and personalized signed copies on on our website
0: so you are still in the army what are you doing now
1: so I actually work
0: for the army oh okay so you were out you're a civilian yeah I'm not sure I'm actually able to say what I do. You travel every week. Mm -hmm. Okay, gotcha. I did not know you were a civilian. You're up to some top secret stuff. Yeah, (laughs) Yes.
1: Since I'm a civilian, I have to keep all the J.P. Lane official stuff, J.P. Lane official, and all the other Army stuff, Army. I can't
0: mix them. Gotcha. Um, When did you get out of the Army?
1: I retired in... July 2012, I think, 2013, I don't remember, somewhere around.
0: What has your traumatic injuries taught you about yourself and other people?
1: It's taught me that when I try to do things on my own and rely on my own strength, oh, it's almost impossible. Um, just to give you an idea of how things actually work mentally and physically, when someone is motivating you to accomplish even your own goal that you may set, it actually increases your percentage of accomplishing that goal. When someone is motivating you mentally to overcome such tragedy as I have myself, then it increases that percentage. This has taught me to not try and rely on my own strength, that it is much wiser to reach out and to get strength from Others who are going to be encouraging me from my faith that gives me strength and encouragement and so on. So that's probably the biggest thing that I can come with from everything I've been through.
0: Here's a deep question for you. If you could go back and change things, specifically your traumatic injuries, would you?
1: If I could go back... I would sit in the exact same spot that I was in 100 million times. Really? Because I know the lives that I saved by sitting in that seat. And I know that I was able to rely on everything that I have so far to get through it. And maybe someone else wouldn't have been able to do that. You just never know who can handle certain things or what their background, their foundation or faith is. And so that's very important when it comes to being able to handle tragedy. And I'm very grateful that I was sitting in that seat.
0: What are your goals and aspirations for the future?
1: Um, well, one of my goals, I'm actually currently working on some new music, uh, hoping to release a couple singles here within the next month. And then a full-fledged album by the end to middle of next year.
0: That's impressive. So-
1: I'm super excited for all the songs that I'm about to release. Uh, it's just very cool. Um, one of the reasons I love music so much is because the doctor said I would never sing again after the tracheotomy I that see I, it. and the damage to my vocal cords. So it's very fun proving them wrong by recording my own music.
0: Do you feel pain on a daily basis?
1: Absolutely. Prosthetics are not comfortable. Uh, They look cool, but they're not comfortable whatsoever. And every single day I'm
0: actually in pain. How do you get through that? Is it just, this is the way it is and I need to make the best of my situation?
1: At the beginning, it was definitely that mindset. Now, so it's because I'm on a mission. And so I understand mentally that I will be in pain every single day. I'm sure that helps also keep me humble. And I know that when I get home at night, I can take my legs off, sleep for seven, six hours, and my legs will reset overnight and heal up and it'll start fresh the next day. At the end of the day, I just can keep going as long as I keep recharging overnight.
0: You always wanted to serve and protect the American people. What does America mean to you?
1: America, for me, means the light of the world. I remind people everywhere I go that people from other countries, because I've had that opportunity to go to many other countries, they see America as a beaming light of hope and protection and that is what we need to remind ourselves that
0: we are. JP, it's been such a pleasure to speak with you and Crystal. She's out keeping the little dog quiet. I told her not to worry about it, but she was concerned. <laughs> but it has been such a pleasure to speak to both of you. I look up a great deal to both of you. You're both heroes. Thank you so much for being guest on my podcast. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having us. and. I just want to tell you that my sacrifice and everything that we've been through, I'm honored to say that you and everyone watching is worth it.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Another Fellow Patriot. Be sure to check the show notes for links to this week's guest. For more connection to the podcast, visit peopleouramericanstory.com for social media links, patriotic merchandise, and to sign up for the We the People newsletter. And finally, be a voice, a strong voice, a voice for freedom. As Benjamin Franklin so eloquently stated, where liberty dwells, there is my country.